greetings and salutations, friends, and welcome back to the arcade. We are your video game podcast here, back with you for the week of Friday, August 14th of the year 2020. How is it going, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? I am Mike the Legend, the man who's so glad to be back with you here, finally back with you, I should say, after we we have been away for the last several weeks. Uh, one week was in observance of the civic holiday that we celebrated here in the great nation of Canada. And the other week away was because Dennis had a very full social calendar. Indeed. And uh, as you mentioned my name, I am the other voice on this program, as I am every week and every year, I suppose. <laughs> uh, every decade. Every decade. Every century. Yeah. <laughs> every millennia. Yes, this millennia, or more correctly, this week, I am Dennis... <laughs> The man who is trying to remember how to podcast. <laughs> it's as I said, it's been a few weeks. Yeah, it's it, been a while. It's uh, we're trying. It's been to, a while. <laughs> Sorry, I will never do that again. Uh, good, good. <laughs> I may have to take off my belt and beat you with it. Should you ever attempt that, even think of attempting it. I know thought crimes are uh, supposedly only in fiction or welly in fiction, but uh, we're going to put that to the test here on this uh, program. <laughs> Yes. Thought crimes are real. Thought crimes are real crimes. And you will commit them against humanity if you even think of doing that once again. So I uh, thank you to uh, refrain from doing so. It's uh, in the best interests of humanity. Yes, yes it is. And I mean not the collective mass of all people uh, peoples on Earth, but I mean humanity of uh, a couple of blocks over. Yes, of the... Uh, uh, of the proud manatee family. Yes, of the... Uh, the, the Winnipeg manatees. Yes, which is, of course, a transient offshoot of the West Lancashire uh, manatees uh, who lay claim to the, I believe, West Lancashire crown and uh, a lot of land over in England as well. Yes, but of course, you know, they originated in Scotland where they were the McManatees. They were so, the McManatees, driven out of Scotland, unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, once, and of course, many clashes with the English, so they decided to seek refuge in some quiet countryside of West, what is now West Lancashire. It was undefined territory back when they moved, I believe, in the 1600s. Yes, it was. I, I believe it was late 1500s, like 1580s. Mm-hmm through you know, early 1600s when the Great Emigration kind of happened, but uh, yeah. It was a long saga they had, and yeah. uh, uh, humanity is uh, just the uh, one of the few remaining descendants, actually. It's uh, unfortunate that uh, the clan, the bloodline, is uh, kind of coming to an end. Yeah, clan McManatee's colors are not really flown too highly these days, but uh, it is what it is, I suppose. Keeps it quiet and to himself, and uh, we know he's there, and uh, uh, do not commit any crimes against him. Doesn't have much long left. No. He's an old man. He has many troubles. He does not need one more. So we thank you for sparing him one more trouble. But yes, we are getting back into the swing of things. Uh, of course, with the uh, time away, you have to get back into it. Imagine, you know, you've been away from work, perhaps on vacation for a couple of weeks, and then the first couple of days back are like, okay, what am I doing? <laughs> what are my passwords? Yeah. What's the routine again? What was I working on before I left? What is, do I pick back up from there? Should I talk, I guess I should talk to my team and figure out what we're doing now. Uh, what are their names? What are their names again? What do their faces look like? I only have vague memories now that we're seeing each other only through, you know. A fog exists in my mind. A fog that exists in my mind and or just seeing them on computer meeting 
<laughs> Windows. <laughs> oh, crap, they turned off the name captions at the bottom. Oh, I'm in for it now. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> I will rue this day. I'll pay for this. This is what I get for coming back from vacation. Yes. Yes, indeed. Thankfully, there are uh, other programs out there known as podcasts that uh, we can listen to to get inspiration from to figure out how to get back into the podcasting swing of things, Yeah, uh, how to wire things correctly, um, uh, learn about various murders that have happened across North America and Europe, because murder is a popular topic on podcasts. It sure is. People love their true crime. They That is a whole whack of podcasts out there whole whack of very popular podcasts as well. Absolutely. Which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's not my thing. Girlfriend really likes them. I, She tells me the interesting parts here and there, you know, the, the ones that aren't too gruesome or too devastating, and that's how I like to keep it. Not my thing. True. Uh, there's enough uh, grimness in the world. I don't need to add that to my listening experience. But if that is your particular uh, MO out there, then uh, good on you. You do you. And what are you doing here? Are, are you here just because you need a, a little little breath of fresh air from uh, the grind of your uh, true crime podcast uh, playlist? Yeah, something that's not as bleak. Something. Well, I mean, I guess the, the one... I guess the caveat to uh, the true crime, though, is that I know that a lot of the podcasts do actually do a lot of good. So it's not just, like, bleakness for no reason. I mean, oftentimes, that's the only way that cold cases will get attention and stuff. So I get it. And this is true, but still very dark and grim subject matter. Yeah, dark and grim subject matter that we don't really want to touch here. And uh, Yeah, no, we try to be a source of light and joy and uh, perhaps... Help renew that uh, sparkle and twinkle in your eye that uh, the world tries to beat down and extinguish. We are here to fight for you and fight for that light in your life. Yes, like Team Rocket or something. To protect the world from devastation. <laughs> to unite all peoples within our nation. Etc., etc. If you are of a certain age, you'll remember all that. Yes. Uh, or maybe, maybe it's still going. I don't know. I believe I, it's still going. I haven't seen Pokemon in like 20 years, so I have no idea. Oh, you've missed... So little. I've missed, like, 800 Pokemon. You have missed 800 Pokemon. And, like, at least seven different storylines. <laughs> Ash, still a teenager, still trying to catch them all, still with Pikachu, never evolved, and still trying to battle and things. And Is he still hanging out with Brock and Misty? Uh, They moved on, but they come and go here and there. They'll They'll make appearances, I think... One became a, uh, 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 one got their own gym. Uh, I don't recall what happened to Brock. I think Misty got her own gym. Makes sense. Uh, I'm going off the top of my head. I could be wrong. If I am, don't email me. That's fine. I don't want to be corrected. Yeah, we, it, it's this not is, really something we care too much. It's not important enough. We, we might be a video game podcast, but we're not that invested in Pokemon in particular. No, we aren't. And also, that's more an anime thing. Uh, that's another podcast entirely. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what what kind of popularity Pokemon has in the anime community, but let's assume it's some. I mean, sure. it's more than nothing. Yeah. Uh, more than some, less than others. Sure. We'll go with that. But uh, it is, a, I mean, still a long-running animated series, uh, and it has that distinction. Uh, yeah. It's been on for, what, 20, maybe 25 years? 
it's it's up there for sure. Which is crazy, but makes sense when you think that it's really just a promotional vehicle for the pro Pokemon brand. Yeah, though that's not as surprising. Like you know, the older you get and the more you find out about how you know capitalism works, <laughs> then you a lot of a lot of the illusions that you had from you know things that you really loved when you were a kid kind of get shattered. Like as it turns out. You know, we grew up watching the Ninja Turtles. Turns out it was just a toy commercial. Really was. Yeah. And specifically a toy commercial. And like for the generation just slightly before us, it was, it wasn't Ninja Turtles, but it was G.I. Joe and He-Man. Mm-hmm. Those were also just toy commercials. They very much were. Yeah. And it wasn't really until, I guess, a few years later when cartoons that were just made to be standalone shows that stood on their own were, you know, made really like for, you know, kids or younger adult or younger audiences in mind. And, uh, I guess this kind of transitions us into our ludicrous lead off a little bit because one of the shows that I remember from when I was a kid that one of the, one of the earlier shows that I remember that was sort of a show meant for kids that wasn't really overtly trying to sell kids anything. And in many ways was actually, against the rampant consumerism of a lot of these other shows was Ren and Stimpy. Absolutely. A, uh, one of the original three Nicktoons, uh, that Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon debuted in the early nineties alongside, uh, Rugrats and I believe Doug. No, Doug was second generation. Uh, yeah, but still one of the original ones. Unfortunately, my mind is blanking on the third one. That's fine. It will likely come later to me. I think Rocco's Modern Life was. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so that, so yes, one of the original three, but completely different than any cartoons before it from the, uh, very unique mind at the time of John Chris Felusi, the creator, main driving force behind it, uh, starring Billy West as the main voice actor, uh, Although at times John Chris Felusi would do voices on the show as well. Yeah, because the original voice of Ren was John Chris Felusi for, I believe, the first four seasons or something. Mm-hmm. And then um, Stimpy was done by Billy West. And then when John Chris Felusi left, Billy West took over that role as well. But yeah, it was them and a host of other people, of course, doing filling out various other voices. But it was, you know... Uh, very much from the school of like alternative comedy that, and just weird art pieces and stuff that I would say were like the kid friendly, and I use in air quotes very liberally friendly versions, you know, that drew from similar wells to like kids in the hall and maybe Mr. Show and things like of that nature. Yes. The inspiration, uh, in that uh, Ren and Stimpy would draw from those other alternative comedy scenes, uh, very clear, uh, very subversive, and very much trying to take things uh, that you might see and might know of in great convention and turn them on their heads and eschew them in a very unique way with a really distinct art style the whole time, too. Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, <laughs> I think uh, Ren and Stimpy was the first show that I remember that definitely had those weird, crazy close-ups. Yes, the overly detailed close-ups. Yeah, like when the characters would look a certain way, but then anytime you'd, you'd do a close-up of their face, it, was, it wasn't it was just off-model, but it was way too detailed. Like, <laughs> looked almost realistic, like a very, like, human-like face 
with like a bunch of zits and you can see every pore and weird like, hairs, weird hairs everywhere. Like the first show I can remember that did that was Ren and Stimpy. And then other Nicktoons kind of followed suit. I mean, SpongeBob also kind of did that from time to time. And John Chris Lucy's later show, Ripping Friends, also did that. That's right, too. But, yeah, like, uh, you, you'll you see that from time to time now in other cartoons. I think Adventure Time has done it a few times. Things like that. But it started with Ren and Stimpy. Some of these weird conventions that now are kind of, like, standards started there. And, you know, yeah. And wh- why are we talking about Ren and Stimpy? Well, apparently we've just jumped into the uh, very end of the program, and this is the blast from the past we're doing at the start now, <laughs> because we are forgetting how to podcast. Uh, no, we're talking about it uh, because of the news that you may have missed. There's a lot that has gone on in the past couple of weeks when we have been off, uh, the world continuing to feel like it's falling apart around us uh, in politics, in, in health news, science news, whatever the case might be. But uh, one of the news stories that may not have crossed your wire, or you may have just missed, glanced over, is the fact that Ren and Stimpy is being resurrected with a new run of episodes on Comedy Central. So Ren and Stimpy, new episodes coming to Comedy Central. However, uh, the important thing to point out here is that the original creator, writer, main driving force behind the series from its first run in the 90s, John Chris Felusi, will have no involvement in this new program. Yeah, which, you know, if... If you've been living under a rock, you might think that's a bad thing. But as we learned within the last few years, John Chris Felusi, not a good dude. No, he's a bad man. Yeah, he's a he's a very bad person. Uh, you know, has been known to maybe groom and be not okay sexually with children. Which I'm- is was a very, very disappointing headline to read that the day that I read it. It was very, you know, like, well, that's that's really shitty. In a piece of uh, investigative reporting put out by BuzzFeed, I believe in 2018, uh, yeah. the allegations were brought to light, and John Chris Felusi didn't exactly mount any sort of vocal or vociferous defense no. against them, uh, which is very damning and yep. ba- a tacit, tacit acknowledgement, to, to me anyway, that there's truth to these allegations, Ultimately, nothing proven in any sort of court of law. Uh, so they remain at the moment as allegations, but damning allegations. Yeah, and there's been, well, a couple of different accounts of a couple of different now now grown women who had some stories. And the level of detail some of the stories went were kind of like, ugh, huh. So, yeah. So it's best that uh, for the new parties involved behind this new Ren and Stimpy run is that uh, John Chris Felusi have nothing to do with it. Uh, it's also been reported by Variety, the uh, Hollywood trade publication Variety, that he is not even being compensated in any way financially with this project. He has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Creatively, financially, nothing. Nothing whatsoever. I would imagine that at some point, someone must have bought the rights to Ren and Stimpy off of him, so that would probably be the only way that that would fly. He he may get a credit as being the creator, which is which is logical it's and It's still true. Yeah. Yep. It is an acknowledgement of reality, but beyond that, he has nothing to do with it, so it will be inter- interesting to see how this comes across and how it's developed. We only know the announcement. 
that the Comedy Central is working on new Ren and Stimpy episodes. We know nothing really more beyond that uh, in terms of writing staff, uh, when it, they expect episodes to release, how many episodes. Yeah. Um, if Billy West is coming back. I, I, I would imagine that Billy West probably would have to come back. Like He's, he's literally the only one who could. Yeah. He's the only one who's done those voices, if you're not using John Chris Lucy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, the only other thing I think we do know is that it's apparently supposed to be a more adult-oriented Ren and Stimpy, which I really hope does not mean that they take it in the direction that that Ren and Stimpy's adult, what was it called, adult the, party hour? The adult par- party cartoon. The adult party cartoon that Spike TV tried to do in the late 90s. Was it late 90s? Early 2000s. Early 2000s. It was when... Uh, when they had Gary the Rat and Stripperella. Gary the Rat, Stripperella, uh, I believe this just in. Um, so the Nashville Network rebranded as the National Network in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then rebranded again as Spike TV in the early, early 2000s, 2000s yeah. as being a network geared towards men. Yeah. And it had a whole bunch of animated uh, programming. Uh, that they put on. Also, at the time, they had MXC, one of the greatest shows of that time. They also had, like, Star Trek marathons all the time. They sure did. Like, there was, like, many a Sunday afternoon where I would just basically lay on the couch and watch six hours of Star Trek. There was many a weekday <laughs> afternoon I would do that very same thing. Uh, but they, in terms of original programming, they skewed very heavily towards animation, which was unusual at the time given that a lot of networks were going for reality-based content. Yeah. Which was cheap to produce. Yeah, and animation, not so much. No. A lot of, especially the time involved as well, the turnaround time on animation is a lot longer than any sort of reality or scripted series. Well, yeah, I I think for a couple of the series, maybe it might have been a little cheaper because I feel that Gary the Rat had a very Flash cartoon kind of look to it. It did. And Stripperella maybe as well, but Ren and Stimpy was a full-on, like, the animation style was to the 90s Ren and Stimpy standards, even if the writing was really cringy and not great. So the, and why we're talking about the adult party cartoon is that it was on a cable network. It was Ren and Stimpy on a cable network with presumably John Chris Felici. He was still at the helm of Ren and Stimpy at this time. Uh, the order was, I believe, for maybe six to ten episodes, and they aired... I think they aired three of them. Three, yeah. It was not many. No. And they were bad. They were not good. They were very cringeworthy. They were just writing and poor, and uh, someone writing as though they had no parameters and did not know how to act or conduct themselves. Yeah. Because, again, Ren and Stimpy was a wild cartoon for Nickelodeon, and in the early 90s, pushed a lot of boundaries. Now you take that, the same driving force, on a cable network, gearing towards an adult audience, less constraints, less standards and practices and things to worry about, because it's not a kid's network, and what you got was uh, trying too hard. Yeah. Trying too hard to be adult. Yeah. In, like, a lot of different uncomfortable ways. And I don't just mean... Yeah, it... it anyways, wasn't great... For a lot of different reasons. No. Was very, kind of, I would say, problematic for a lot of reasons as well. Especially in hindsight, when you look back at it, and it's like, ugh, why'd you do that? And also was uh, apparently experiencing a lot of production issues. Uh, John Christopher Lucy, in later years, as people would talk, uh, after the runs of these shows had concluded, uh, notorious for missing production deadlines. 
So that was a contributing factor to things as well. Yeah. So Ren and Snoopy's adult party cartoon. Hopefully this will not be. So this, uh, this new one, it's being again helmed by a, a new creative team at uh, Nickelodeon Animation Studios, uh, being aired on Comedy Central. So I'd imagine there's going to be a lot more oversight to this. Yeah. And also, let's not forget that Comedy Central has also been the home to South Park for the last 24 years, 25 years. Oh God, it's, it's probably 20, oh, 24. Yeah, it's, it's up there. Oh so, God. But yeah, South Park can vote. South Park is old enough to have been voting for a couple of years now. South Park can uh, legally buy alcohol in the States. Yes. Oh, man. Goddamn. So there's that. But uh, so there's that. And other stories we could have talked about uh, in the past couple of weeks while we've been off as well. The, the seeming renaissance that Comedy Central is putting towards uh, adult comedy-based animation programming. Yeah. Um there was another one that they mentioned that there was going to be a, uh, a spinoff of Daria called Jody, which I think was one of Daria's friends from what I vaguely, vaguely recall from that show. Though admittedly, I didn't really watch Daria, though I, I did watch a couple of episodes because I was curious because it was a spinoff from Beavis and Butthead, mm-hmm. which people probably don't even know or remember at this point. Like I know, some people I know who liked Daria had no idea. It was like, no, she started out as a, as like one of their classmates in Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. She was the uh, quiet, misanthropic one. Yeah. The one that would just kind of like call them idiots and walk away. And, you know, their whole thing was calling her diarrhea, cha-cha-cha, diarrhea, cha-cha-cha. <laughs> Which, anyways, I mentioned Beavis and Butthead because they're also bringing Beavis and Butthead back. Which is fantastic. Which is fantastic. And the whole idea behind that is also, I mean, knowing that Mike Judge is going to be at the helm really eases my mind because he hasn't really done any wrong in his whole career, I think. I I mean, there are some parts I blind spots to his career uh, that I have. Uh, I never watched, I believe, what, The Good Family? Yeah, that's true. I didn't really watch some, that one either. But some of his works between King of the Hill and Silicon Valley, I'm not as familiar with. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, Idiocracy was good. True. Um, Office Space was a cult classic, it's and like, even that what's uh, more recent seventh or eighth standalone season of Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, it was really good too. Like they brought Beavis and Butthead back in you know the MTV like no more music era when they were just showing Jersey Shore and stuff and basically having them comment on that. But now what they're, I was a little bit worried when I read that they wanted to make Beavis and Butthead parents of kids that are, you know, them as parents, like that's kind of like a, Oh, what are you going to, it's like kind of playing with a classic formula here, but like knowing that Mike judge is still at the helm eases my mind. So that's, that's good. And it's a way to try and, uh, I guess, tie them into a more contemporary uh, world without um, doing any sort of temporal displacement yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're seeing the, the current world through their kids' eyes. Yeah. Them, as the idiots that you remember from you know, the 90s, are now seeing the world. <laughs> like, what are they seeing? Like, those of us who are kind of, like, around their age, maybe a little younger, like, 
we're older millennials. They're supposed to be like younger Gen X, whatever. Same kind of era for us anyways. But for those of us, it's just like sometimes I don't understand what the hell's going on with the youth culture anymore. Like I look at TikTok and I'm like, so is it like Vine or like what is it supposed to be? And like, I, and I'm not a stupid idiot like Beavis and Butthead. I'm just going to say that. I know it's not for me to judge, but you know, I'm just going to put that out there. But uh, yeah. So the Beavis and Butthead, that has me excited as well. And also just uh, to some extent, uh, it's kind of happy for Mike Judge because yeah. he's been trying for years to do another run of uh, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, like he says he has ideas. He says he's got, you know, things he wants to do. Like the time is right for him. It's like, let the man strike the iron while it's hot. Like, <laughs> come on. And after, I mean, it took him a while to get that one-off season, I believe, uh, season seven or eight a couple of years ago on MTV. Yeah. The problem has always been MTV owns half the property. Yeah. They, they own a 50% stake in the property. Mike Judge owns the other half. Yeah. So they would always be the obstruction part. Yep. Because MTV, because Beavis and, like, let's face it, Beavis and Butthead is like an artifact of an era that that MTV no longer wants to be associated with. Mm -hmm. They started out, the M and MTV meant music, where they would show music videos, and there would always be things centered specifically around music, because, you know, music videos were a major thing back then. And, you know, believe it or not, people would often just turn on a music video channel and watch music videos for half an hour. And see what there is. Yeah, I would do that. Mm -hmm. I used to do that. You know, I mean, we still kind of do that these days in YouTube, but I mean, but the, there used to be TV channels for that where like you didn't really get a choice, but whatever, like chances are if it's the block of programming is playing a style of music you like, you might find something you like anyways, whatever. But then Beavis and Butthead would exist as one of their like auxiliary kind of programs that weren't specifically music, but related to music and that they would, you know, have like their inter in between story, like they would have the story parts, but then it would be punctuated by Beavis and Butthead commenting on music videos. Mm -hmm. And then as culture started changing, that stopped being so relevant. But I feel like that format kind of led the way for things like Mystery Science Theater 3000 and things like that. Oh, certainly. And, uh, um, I mean, look at the, uh, the prevalence now of streamers watching videos or whatnot and just commenting. And the reaction video culture. Yes. It's Beavis and Butthead. It's a hundred percent just Beavis and Butthead. Like that's what it, that's what yeah. reaction videos yeah. are. Like I don't really say that very often because I don't think a lot of people are going to get the reference anymore. But people our age and older probably will. It's like, oh yeah, I guess it is just Beavis and Butthead. Okay, I never made that connection. Yeah, but it a hundred percent is. Well, goddamn. And now that you thought about that, you're not going to not be able to think about that. But also, there was one other show that they announced. You know, there's no actual intention, unfortunately, with any network, but the creators are all on board and they're trying to get it made. And it really excites me and Mike the Legend as well, because we both really, really liked this show back in the day when it came out. And it was Clone High. It was one of the funniest cartoons of that time. Perhaps you do not know the name. It aired in the early 90s 
on uh, uh, early 2000s. Early 2000s, I should say. Thank you. Early 2000s on Teletoon. Uh, and for a few episodes, I don't believe they aired the whole season on MTV. Yeah, I don't even know, like, from what I recall, like, it wasn't super popular in the States. I think it was a joint Canadian-American production, but it got, like, it, it had all of its popularity here. So it was more popular here and more of, like, a cult status in the States. But it was sort of of the same vintage and, you know, uh, siblingry in shows in terms of like Mission Hill and, uh, undergrads, undergrads and, the Oblongs. Yeah. So, but like, I think it was maybe the smartest of the shows in terms of how ridiculous it was. But yeah, you know, I've, I've made this argument before. Like some people view like conflate silly with stupid. And I don't think that's the case. I think sometimes you have to be really smart to be super silly sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think of like Mel Brooks and Monty Python and old Conan O'Brien skits and stuff like really smart, bright people coming up with absolutely ridiculous ideas. And Clone High was very much in that vein. And yeah, it, it was always like, I, I know they intentionally did it because I don't think they had any idea that they would go for beyond a season, but it ended on a cliffhanger. And it's always been kind of annoying to be like, okay, well, what's their plan here? <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, if I'm recalling correctly, the cliffhanger was that everyone got frozen in time. Yes, everyone, I believe at the, uh, uh, the end of their prom, the end of their prom dance, uh, I believe just as uh, Abe and Joan were actually going to... About to kiss. About to kiss. Uh, government agents came in to steal back the clones from Principal uh, Cinnamon J. Scudworth. Yep. Uh, basically, a giant lever was thrown and froze everyone in place in the school gymnasium. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. How it ha- how it goes from there, who knows? Yeah. But in many ways, it's perfect because you have actually shrink-wrapped the series. Like, literally. Like, it's shrink-wrapped in time. Mm-hmm. So anything you do now is believable. So like there, you don't even need to come up with some sort of like Mike Judge having to like make Beavis and Butthead parents idea or anything like that, because it's just no like, no they they were frozen in time for the last fifteen years. There done yeah. Now we're gonna unfreeze them and continue back up from where they left off. Oh, if perhaps you have to uh, write off a character because they aren't allowed to come back because they're very controversial or whatnot. Uh, I'm looking at you, character of Gandhi. I really hope they don't do that, though. I Gandhi was one of the most important characters on that show. He was the best. I loved Gandhi. <laughs> he had all the best quotes. It was one of the most ridiculous portrayals, if not the most ridiculous portrayal of their clone on that show. Yeah, absolutely. Which was which made it great. Yeah, it sure did. Like just the fact that he was so wildly different from the real Gandhi. Like, come on, like. The others, like, like Abe was supposed to have, like, very similar things, and JFK, of course. JFK was still in the same vein. Yeah. Womanizer, uh, conceited, talked with a very thick Massachusetts accent. Yeah, for some reason. <laughs> uh, of course, Cleopatra, very much like the original. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> same with Joan of Arc. Uh, but John Dark. John, yes. <laughs> Uh, but Gandhi was the wildest take. Yeah. Which, which made it the best, but also got the show into trouble. Yeah. With some corners of the world. 
hopefully that's not a concern. I mean, 15 years has passed. Yeah. I think it may have been forgotten. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not the prophet Muhammad or something like it. He, Gandhi was still just a man and he, anyways, I'm not going to get us in trouble by saying anything here. I'm not going to go any further down that thing, but I always thought that the character of Gandhi on Clone High was fantastic. And I really hope that they keep him around. I'd say so. I mean, if you're bringing back Abe, you kind of need to bring back Gandhi. Because they were best friends. They were best friends. It just goes hand in hand. But no cast details have been announced, no character details. All we know is that Phil Lord and Chris Miller are back involved with at least the first one, maybe two episodes. Uh, they will not be showrunners, though. That uh, duty will be handed off to uh, a woman who is actually a writer on the original series. Yeah. So there's continuity between the two. Yeah. The original series and this new one. I'd imagine they'd still have some element of creative input, but their careers have blown up ridiculously in the 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I first put two and two together of, like, what they were doing, and I just about shit a brick, because I'm like, wait a minute, the creators of one of my favorite TV series are now, like, massive Hollywood guys? Oh, that's why the Lego movie was so funny. Oh, uh. that's why 21 Jump Street was pretty good. Yeah, that's why it was pretty good. Oh, that's why Cloudy the Chance of Meatballs is so pretty good. Like, weird. Wow. Oh, okay. It's the same guys. Oh, it's that, it's that Phil Lord and, you know, Chris Miller. Oh, okay. Huh. So, yeah, they are now at Hollywood film blockbuster level. Yeah. So they won't be running this show. No. Which, I mean, they were fresh out of college when they ran it the first time. Yeah. They're not that anymore. But what they probably would be in a position of is more like how, like, Steven Spielberg was in a position with, you know, Animaniacs and Looney Tunes, or Tiny Toon Adventures back Mm -hmm. in the day. Because those were Spielberg productions as well. At Amblin Entertainment. Yeah. So maybe that's what their capacity is going to be now. And... That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing because if, if you remember those cartoons from back in the day, like Spielberg was huge at that point. Like he was like top of the world. I mean, he still is like one of the biggest directors of all time. Certainly. Um, but he, like he had just established himself as that back then and he was making goofy shows for like kids basically. So yeah, there's potential there for Phil Lord and Chris Miller at the very least. I'd imagine they will uh, resume their voice roles as uh, Principal Scudworth and Butler Tron. I really hope so. And didn't one of them do, uh, wasn't one of them JFK? I think one of them may have been JFK. I could be wrong, but I'm... I feel like that might have been right. Because, I yeah, there was... Because uh, otherwise, like, a lot of the voice talent, you know, came from Mad TV and, you know, uh, SNL and stuff of the time. Like, I think Will Forte was JF... It was... Uh, was Abe Lincoln? Was it, he was Abe Lincoln, and also he did the voice of the very brief cameo of Abraham Lincoln in the Lego movie. That's right. Because yep. he was Abe on Clone High. Yeah. So there was that, when they did, like, Roll Call in that one scene in the Lego movie. Yeah. Of all the great uh, master builders. Yeah, <laughs> including, like, Donatello and, like, whoever else. Michelangelo. Michelangelo and hey. the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Will Forte... Uh, Nicole Sullivan was Cleopatra. Phil Lamar uh, was Gandhi, if I'm not mistaken. No, he, uh, Phil Lamar wasn't Gandhi. Phil, uh, Phil Lamar was someone else entirely, but I believe it was Michael... 
uh, uh, Michael someone from, uh, oh, from the, Mad TV. Right, the guy who played Stu, uh, Stuart. Yes. Yeah, yeah, him. The that, tall guy. That's right, he was Gandhi. He was Gandhi. And, yeah, Phil Lamar was a few other characters. Yeah, yes. anyways. But, but yeah, like, I... <laughs> We were big fans of Clone High and really, really hope it comes back. Absolutely. Almost in an altered form is what I'm really hoping for. We, we will, uh, we will accept it and, uh, hope that, uh, the, uh, writers, uh, or that they bring on board. Hopefully there's still some original ones who come on, uh, from the original series, uh, and some new talent. And, uh, we just want it to be good and in a form where we can view it and watch it, uh, pretty damn quick. Yeah. That's all. We want it now. We've wanted it years ago, and yet we are still waiting. So there's that. But uh, we have waxed nostalgic about cartoons for far too long. We will instead move on to another subject entirely. Uh, another uh, story that continues through the news is the fight for social justice and racial justice and equality uh, in North America, largely in the United States, uh, and... In the past several weeks prior to us being away, most recently, we covered stories of game companies doing their part in making financial contributions, or at least pledges of financial contributions, towards social justice causes. And one of the stories that we covered was the announcement by Niantic that they would be donating a minimum of $5 million to uh, charities and initiatives related to the Black Lives Matter movement. That was the floor, $5 million. Uh, what they said was that they were going to donate uh, all of their proceeds from the Pokemon Go Fest 2020 event. Now, in the past couple of weeks, that event has come and gone. It took place at the end of July, the last weekend of July. Came and went, and the figures came in, and it was a very good year for Niantic and uh, people buying tickets and whatnot for the Pokemon Go Fest 2020 because the contribution that that company is making towards Black Lives Matter charities and initiatives and causes is now going to be $10 million from $5 million. That was the floor. They said that was the floor. They ultimately made enough money, so they're donating $10 million. Yeah, to to racial justice and social equality uh, causes in the United States. God damn. Yeah. Now that's. I mean, I think some uh, there that might be not all of their entire profits they made. I mean, they said it was like they're donating their profits from this, but I think there was actually some data that estimates that the user spending uh, peaked at about. Just under nine million dollars on the first day of the event on that, which was July twenty fifth, and then for the whole weekend between Friday to Sunday, they earned twenty five million dollars, um, which bring which brought their, you know, uh, twenty twenty estimated revenue up to about half, just over half a billion dollars, fifty three five hundred thirty nine million, I should say, and their lifetime revenue up to almost three point seven billion dollars, so. Yeah, like, I mean, $10 million to them is a drop in the bucket. But good for them for doing it, I suppose. How many other companies are donating $10 million? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I mean, it's very easy to just kind of, like, look at that and go, yeah, but that's 
that's a small percentage of what you have, but it's like, yeah, but it's more than what other people are doing. So, which maybe is a different discussion. Maybe other people should be doing more. I think other people should be doing more for sure. Absolutely. But still, it's, it's a start. It's a good, it's a very good start. Um, they could have pegged it as a percentage. They could have said, we'll donate 1% of our proceeds or whatever. But they decided to say that they would donate all of their proceeds from that weekend event, the Pokemon Go uh, Fest 2020. And 10 million is nothing to sneer at. No. Like even coming out and saying the floor would be 5 million was bold and yeah. more than most people. Absolutely. Like 5 million put them in the range, the ballpark of some of those humble, bu- humble bundles and, uh, HIO bundles for, uh, social equality, racial justice and whatnot. So those were in, I believe the five to seven million range as well. So this, uh, 10 million, I believe exceeds both of those and good on Niantic. They didn't have to, but they did. This is helpful. More companies to need, need to do this. Let's be clear. There's a lot of companies making a lot of money and call me crazy. Call me a crazy left-wing pinko, but there's a lot of companies who have too much money. Absolutely. So help the, the greater population that you need as a customer base for your products. Yeah. Like I'm all on board. I mean, it's a wacky idea, but I'm all on board for that whole thing of like, making the most money you're legally allowed to have a billion dollars as any sort of entity, because like, what the hell does a Jeff Bezos need to be a trillionaire for? That's bananas. That's insane. Like if you have a billion dollars, you already can live more comfortably than most anyone on the world Mm -hmm. in the world. Like what do you need more than that for? You could probably already buy a private Island for that and live for the rest of your life. You could buy a private country. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, just get your billion dollars, get your plaque that says you won at capitalism, and move on. Yes. Come on. <laughs> like, So until we get to that point, yeah. uh, these small instances of $10 million, which compared to a billion or a trillion or whatever, is still small, yeah. but in these instances, still very large, very needed, uh, very welcome, so good on Antic, good on everyone involved for uh, supporting the Pokemon Go Fest 2020 and uh, reaching and helping to achieve this $10 million milestone. It's a ridiculous milestone. Yeah. $10 million. Absolutely. Good on them. So uh, maybe 45 minutes into the show here, we should actually talk about a few video game-related items and news. What do you say? Sure. Might as well while we're here. Yeah, you know, we got nothing else to do, so <laughs> we carved out this time, so... We'd waste it otherwise, so might as well do something mildly productive. <laughs> Would probably just stare at a wall and watch paint dry. Yeah, you know. Oh, oh shit, that wall's not even painted. I've wasted my life. What have I done? <laughs> Back to the wall. <laughs> Anyways. There's no talking when staring at the wall. Uh, so probably one of the big video game uh, news items this week, uh, the announcement that Microsoft is delaying Halo Infinite to the year 2021. Uh, that news came down, was kind of buried a bit in a, a blog post to their, uh, I believe, Major Nelson uh, company blog that they initially wrote up and uh, published that touts all the thousands of games across many generations that the Xbox X, or aka the Xbox Series X, will be able to play and be compatible with upon its release this fall. But one of those titles 
not going to be available again. Halo Infinite because the COVIDs. Yeah, it's good as excuse for that. It's as good of an excuse as any. Yeah, uh, in a statement published to the company's Twitter account, uh, three four three interactive stu- or three four three industry studio head Chris Lee said that the decision for the delay came from multiple factors uh, that complicated the development process, including COVID and the pandemic-driven switch to remote development. Saying, "quote We have made the difficult decision to shift our release to 2021 to ensure the team has adequate time to deliver a Halo game experience that meets our vision." Uh, later on, he also says that it is not sustainable for the well-being of our team or the overall success of the game to ship to ship it this holiday season. Which I read is this Friday, which I was like, was that ever the release date? What? Wait, when was this posted? Calm down. Uh, yeah. So, no Halo Infinite this fall, so what the big killer app for the Xbox Series X is going to be this year, we don't know. But uh, that being said, in their blog post, Microsoft did also kind of narrow down the release date for their next console, saying that, uh, uh, making reference to November of 2020, instead of just the previously nebulous release date of being holiday 2020, it's now been narrowed down to November 2020, and other people on the internet after this announcement started posting images of uh, maybe boxes they'd received or other placeholder uh placeholders for commercial items saying do not open before November 5th or 6th. <laughs> 5th or 6th. And so that is potentially the release date for the Xbox Series X. So no Halo this fall. That's, uh, that's a big title off the list, which, I, I mean, at this point, we don't really know what the big killer apps are going to be uh, for release this holiday season. There's, I mean, Assassin's Creed and whatnot, but... I mean, we don't know what Microsoft is going to offer to drive people towards their new console. We don't know what Sony is going to release as a big killer app for their new console. We don't know what Nintendo is planning for the Switch. Yeah. We don't know what any of the big three are doing. No. No no news yet. Which is crazy. Yeah. Which just kind of speaks to how different a year 2020 is. Yep. Because by this time, we would have had E3. We would have had the big, like, crazy amount of news. We would have known... A whole bunch of different stuff, but now everyone's kind of just quiet. Everyone's quiet, and I imagine a large part of it too is the slowered or slowed pace, not slow word. That's not a word. <laughs> slowered pace. <laughs> the slowed pace of development as people work uh, in isolation, not in their uh, you know office uh, spaces, being on top of each other. Yeah, and just the slow pace of going between departments and uh, necessary elements of team members to develop these big, very collaborative games. So that is going to be a factor this fall. We shall see what comes out, what doesn't come out. But uh, speaking of the COVIDs, uh, as you may or may not know, it's still a thing. still out there in the world. It's still out there in the world. There's no vaccine yet. There's no cure yet. You know, which, you know, uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, like, I don't think we should be opening things yet, necessarily, to the degree that I've seen them be opened. Yeah, 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 the economy, get it moving, fine, but, like, what good's an economy if everyone's dead? That's true. That's just my whole, I might be sensationalizing things, I mean, I know it's not super bad everywhere, 
but some places it's still pretty bad. Um, and possibly worse than when things were shut down initially back in March and April. Yeah. And in some cases, maybe we don't even know how bad it is because maybe in certain places in the world, they're not super forthcoming with information. I'm kind of thinking about China right now. True. They're, they're not really great with sharing things about themselves with the world. They're a very guarded country. They are very secretive about a lot of things. And, uh, yeah, I would be very cautious about going to China right now or in the next couple of months. Understandable and justifiably so. Uh, that was the, uh, worst hit of the, in, in the initial wave of, uh, infections in January and March, uh, in theory, uh, because of severe lockdown measures, they got it under control. But, uh, you know, there have been flare-ups uh, now and then since then in the intervening, intervening weeks and months. But uh, that isn't stopping Riot Games from planning to hold the League of Legends World Championship in Shanghai at the Pudong Soccer Stadium uh, to be held from September 25th to October 31st. So they're planning an event. I do not believe that they are planning for fans in attendance. But even so, they are planning a large mass gathering of people for this event. So they are apparently going to have uh, no fans in the early stages of the event. Uh, the company says it will rely on local guidelines to decide whether to allow in-person attendance for the finals. Uh, if so, then tickets and all sorts of other safety measures will uh, be detailed later on this summer. But we'll see. Uh, in a statement, Riot Games said, quote, We continue to use the guidance from various health organizations and local and national authorities to prioritize safety for our players, fans, and everyone invo- involved with bringing Worlds 2020 to life. End quote. So I'm just going to throw this out there and say, is this necessary? Do, do we need to have the League of Legends uh, 2020 World Championship? Do, does it need to happen? Does it need to happen in Shanghai? Does it need to happen where everyone is... Like, I don't know enough about League of Legends. Is it a thing where, like, it works better if everyone's on the same local network or something? I thought that it was just an internet game. Like, I thought that, like, couldn't this just be a decentralized Twitch stream thing where you basically just, like, maybe might have some sort of headquarters where you stream from, but, like, you're picking up streams from individual players maybe or something, right? Like, couldn't couldn't that be a thing? Uh, possibly, but if they insist on uh, going through and having an in-person event for the competitors... Uh, then they have not shared their details for the safety precautions that they will take for the participants in this event. Of course they haven't. Uh, because I'm sure they're still figuring it out and costs and things of all that nature. Now, as we have seen, at least in North America, attempts to get uh, life, quote-unquote, back to normal, which is a thing, uh, some people say, but the return of professional sports. We are seeing it currently with the yeah. return of the NBA and the NHL, those two operations are happening inside bubbles, self-contained environments. In the NBA, it's happening exclusively on the grounds uh, of an ESPN sports complex in Orlando, Florida. Hockey, it's happening in Toronto and Edmonton in literally contained, uh, basically quarantine zones. 
Yeah, like I think all of the players have been basically tested to make sure they're not asymptomatic carriers. And yeah, everyone is just sort of like you go to the hotel, then you come back to the arena, you go to the hotel, you come back to the arena, and that's it. Basically. I mean, there are a few other amenities because they've quarantined off like city blocks. Yeah. Uh, to make it a bit more of an enjoyable environment, but still, you're, it's just them in this area and only interacting with other people in this zone. Yeah, and it's people who have been deemed to be asymptomatic, or not, not symptomatic at all. Exactly. No, also no, not carrying it, is what I should say, like just to yes. make sure no one has it and no one is risking spreading it to anyone within the bubble, and no one can enter or leave the bubble. Or if they do, then they have to basically be isolated for several many days upon return. Yeah. To not bring it with them. Yeah. Which is probably the soundest plan. Other sports are attempting to return without the use of a bubble, like Major League Baseball, which has been an absolute dumpster fire thus far. Yeah. One team has, I believe, had upwards of 20 players uh, and uh, team officials infected. Um the Miami Marlins, they've played, I believe, nine games so far, and other teams have played over 20. Uh, another team, the St. Louis Cardinals, they had about a dozen players and coaches infected, and they're, they've been off for about two weeks. And that screws up the schedule for so many other teams. And it's still just teams traveling around to different cities. Yeah, so they're basically typhoid marrying it up. Yes, and d- despite... Uh, you know, regulations put in and uh, uh, protocols put down by teams in Major League Baseball saying players don't go out because you're in a city. You, standard baseball player routine is you're done a game or whatever. Go out and enjoy the nightlife because these cities have nightlife again. Yeah. Which they shouldn't. They definitely shouldn't. No city should have nightlife going. No. Whatever. Like, I can understand limited in the bubble nightlife. Like, like obviously, like, if you're going to have like 20 hockey teams all kind of hanging out in a couple of city blocks, that's a lot of guys and they need like a bit of entertainment. Like if, if no one has it there and you've confirmed no one has it. Yeah. Fine. Have a restaurant open up in the block, have a couple of bars, whatever, like, mm-hmm. have, like, you know, open up a swimming pool. Fine. Do whatever. Like it, I, I get it. Like the concern is greatly lessened at that point. Absolutely. Because you're just, everything is literally in a quarantine zone. Like no, no one can enter or leave without, all these crazy precautions that you have to take. And I get it. Like that, that's good. That's what you should be doing if you have to do this. But like, holy crap, what are you traveling around for? Well, I mean, there are many reasons that baseball decided to take this course. Uh, most, most notably because they spent the four months uh, from the time that things got shut down and they, uh, I guess, ended spring training for all the teams in March to when they started playing in July to basically try and crush the players union. And, uh, <laughs> Establish a new economic model for the game. Because, yes. Good. That's, and the result is 20 players on the Miami Marlins getting infected and buggering the schedule for other teams. 13 players on the St. Louis Cardinals, players and coaches getting it. And uh, I believe it was last weekend, two pitchers for the Cleveland uh, baseball team uh, went out uh, for some Drinks and some uh, some enjoyment, some mirth and merriment after a game in Chicago, and uh, uh, yeah, and they weren't supposed to. So that's the thing. Players have habits. It's baseball. The only proven effective method: play inside a contained bubble. Yeah, 
Is uh, Riot Games going to take that same approach to this tournament if they must have this tournament and must have it in Shanghai? We don't know. Are they going to compel the participants to self-isolate for a two-week period prior to traveling to Shanghai? Don't know. But this is the thing that they are going to go forward with. Call me crazy. It's a bad idea. Like, as I watch sports on TV, try and give the population some semblance of life returning to normal, quote-unquote, I can't help but watch it and think, we shouldn't have this. Life is not normal, should not be normal, should not be attempted to return it to some semblance of normal, because it makes people think that there's nothing as much to worry about. Yeah. There's still the thing to worry about. Yeah, like, nothing's changed. Like Nothing. <laughs> nothing's nothing. actually changed. No magic wand has been waved to rid the, uh, the harm factor that's out there to reduce it. In some parts, it has gotten worse in the weeks. Yeah. Uh, last few weeks. So, like... I've even read some experts say that the first wave isn't done yet. So great. So like, like people are talking about like, oh, second wave. No, the first wave hasn't even fully hit yet in some places. Like where we are, we've had a low number of cases. We saw an uptick in the last couple of weeks because a lot of restrictions got lifted. Maybe it's because we haven't really had a proper first wave yet. That's the scary thing. Right? A little bit. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I mean, restrictions are lifted to try and get people back to normal, but we shouldn't have normal. This no. is not a normal time. The cause of what's making this not normal is still around. Like, if instead of a virus, it was aliens, alien invaders from the outside world, would we still be attempting to play baseball again? Yeah. Like, if it, if it wasn't, you know, some unseen virus, if it was aliens, uh, would we still be opening stores back up? Would we still be allowing uh, bars to open to some capacity, restaurants to open to some capacity? Would we be trying to send our children back to school in September? That's a good question. Like, probably not. We'd probably be like, holy crap, no, like, until the military takes care of this problem, no, like, let's let's all kind of stay inside, and it's not even a like, government's trying to control us thing with all those wacky conspiracy theories. Like, no. All the scientists are saying this is a problem still. Like, what are we doing? Absolutely. Like, what is the best defense you can give yourself? Stay away from other people. Yeah. It sounds cruel and harsh, but it's the only way. Imagine imagine this, to reframe it. So the virus, as I said, it's alien invaders, and they can only attack you when you leave your house. That's the only way they can see you. They cannot see inside your roof or something. Yeah. Or like... Their motion-based is their vision. And they can only really see you when you're in groups of more than three. Yeah. Or five or whatever. That, that's what it is. Like, good God. Not that, like, COVID itself discriminates against the size of gatherings, but, you know, there's... It loves big gatherings. It really loves big gatherings. <laughs> good God. So that's the thing. Call me crazy, but uh, we, we don't need that. The, the League of Legends World Championships? I don't know. I am not big into the League of Legends. I mean, how many other championships uh, or video game events have been put on hold or just canceled outright for this year? Yeah. It's okay to take a pass on 2020. Yeah, I think it is. Like, a lot of people are doing that. It's it's okay. Come back next year. 
figure it out, it's, it's good to go. But nevertheless, uh, perhaps one of the things that uh, you'll be looking forward to in 2021 when things get quote-unquote back to normal is the Avengers game. And news on that front, which of course we have to chime in on, was the uh, giant pile of balls that uh, came out. So, of course, it's an Avengers game. There's going to be DLC characters. Uh, the first one that was announced was Hawkeye. That's going to be free to all players. The next DLC character that was announced was Spider-Man. That is a character that's exclusive to the PlayStation. I would also like just to take a very brief aside, because I think it's a funny story. My girlfriend said that when she was first watching Avengers, she misheard Hawkeye's name as Hot Guy. <laughs> and he kept being referred to as Hot Guy, and she was like, he's not that hot. What's going on? <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> then she later found out, oh, his name is Hawkeye. Like, has good eyes. Like, really able to shoot stuff with a bow. It's like, oh, that's lame. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right. He is lame. Most people think he's a lame character. It's true. Yeah. But he's still an Avenger. Yeah, he's still an Avenger. And Wolverine's not. No, he's not. Work that one out. Anyway, he's an honorary member at times, but, uh, you know, he's he's not one of the top tier, second tier, or third tier. He, he's off fighting his own battles and demons. Yeah. So, uh, nevertheless, there's Hawkeye, so he's free to everyone. Spider-Man, who himself is uh, fighting his own battles in his own universe, but Spider-Man, exclusive to the PlayStation. Perfect. Yeah. So, that's a bit of a kick in the teeth. Well, if you have a PlayStation. Well, I mean, if you have a PlayStation, yeah, fine. <laughs> Go right ahead. Like, well, I'm going to get all the characters then. But uh, Crystal Dynamics has not announced if there's going to be a character exclusive to uh, Xbox owners or PC owners of the game. Oh, it's going to be Howard the Duck. Wow. <laughs> Sony gets awesome Spider-Man and Xbox gets Howard the Duck. <laughs> That is a passive-aggressive form of uh, hate and burning being cast upon all the Xbox players out there. <laughs> that would be impressive if it ever would, came to I fruition. Would, I would really laugh if that was the case. <laughs> he, and he's not even overpowered or with anything unique or distinct to He's just to a crappy character. <laughs> this the, the smart aleck attitude like he actually is. Yeah, yeah, voiced by Seth Green, at least, as he was in the movies. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the more recent movies. Not in the 80s movie. Not the 80s, who I don't even remember who voiced him. I, I don't even remember. I could not tell you off the top of my head. But, uh, so yes, Spider-Man exclusive to the PlayStation. And this very much reminded me of, uh, oh God, years ago uh, in the console wars between the uh, uh, GameCube, PlayStation 2, and Xbox. Uh, so early 2000s time is uh, where I was taken back to. And I was reminded of... Uh, Soul Calibur, and specifically Soul Calibur 2, I believe it was, because that was the version where each uh, console got its own platform-exclusive character, at least. And it was announced and known ahead of time uh, that each version is getting its own different character. So the GameCube version of Soul Calibur 2 got Link as a playable character. I believe the PlayStation 2 version got uh, uh, either Spawn or Hihachi, and... Uh, the Xbox version got its own unique distinct character. So everyone was getting one at the same time. So no one was being left out. No one was given any sort of preferential treatment. But 
this is very much, at the moment, seeming like the PlayStation uh, family, PlayStation Universe, is getting preferential treatment. Maybe Sony slipped a crystal net mix a little extra something. You know, that brown envelope that just said, here you go, on the front of it. Uh, I But uh, I'd imagine that Sony is trying to uh, really, really make themselves the home of all things Spider-Man. As we saw, they have the uh, PlayStation 4 console-exclusive Spider-Man game, simply called Spider-Man. Sony Studios owns the rights to the uh, Spider-Man film franchise. And so there was going to be the Morbius movie released, uh, I believe, later this year. Don't know if that's still in the plans, but there's been the past couple Spider-Man movies that Marvel has been the creative force behind, and Sony has been the business side behind, so they have handled all that. But of course, Sony, and if we recall back to, God, 15 years ago, when Sony was first unveiling the PlayStation 3, they had the Spider-Man movie-style font across the uh, top of the console. Yeah. So Sony loves Spider-Man. Yeah. All things Spider-Man. They sure do. None more Spider-Man. So how this plays itself out, I don't know. If there will be other platform exclusives between the Xbox and uh, PC to compensate, we shall see. But at least uh, it's t- we have until early 2021 to uh, find that out, for that is when Crystal Dynamics is pegging the game for its release window. Plenty of time for them to announce things between now and then. Uh, and maybe Dennis gets his wish, and Howard the Duck is a platform exclusive to the Xbox. And all players on that system. Man, I hope so. Like, hey, alright, you got it on the Xbox. You get Howard the Duck. Shit. (laughs) I have chosen poorly. And it just says in the character description, you've made the wrong choice. But also coming to the uh, Xbox, uh, the Xbox One, the current generation of Xbox, and not the future one, the Xbox X, uh, a game that is exclusive to it because Microsoft actually owns the company behind it, uh, is the game Battletoads. Perhaps you've heard of it. Yeah, perhaps you have. If you remember playing it way back in the day on the NES, you'll remember it was a really, really hard game. Sure was. It is one of those games that I think is universally respected as being tough as shit. Yeah. And if you or you know someone who can get past Stage 3, the speeder bike level, you respect them and their game-playing ability. Absolutely. If you are able to get past it, you have my respect for your game-playing ability. I watched one person do it once, and it was just like watching, you know, like a chess master just destroy someone at chess, or like, I don't know, some kind of like martial arts master just kind of like go into a zen state or something. Very interesting. Impressive. Just a level of skill that uh, I know I will never be able to attain. No, me neither. So it has been many, many years since there was a, uh, since the world last had a Battletoads game, but Microsoft finally bringing out uh, a new Battletoads game that uh, they've had at work for a couple of years now. It was first announced back in 2018, and here we are now in 2020, the year of our Dark Lord, finally seeing its release. It's coming to the PC, the Xbox One, and Steam on August 20th. There was a new trailer that was uh, released to herald this new release date, and it gives uh, glimpses of the gameplay. There's a lot of different elements in gameplay styles at work here. There's your traditional 
side-scrolling beat-em-up, as we saw in the as a callback, really, to the original game's gameplay style, but there's also elements of racing. Uh, there's also glimpses of a speeder bike level. At least the perspective is different, and it's a uh, third-person perspective where the speeder bike is be- is uh, in front of you, camera's behind it, so you can have a better view of what the hell's coming up. Yeah, as opposed to that weird isometric view that it had. Yeah, where barriers would just appear. Yep. And you'd really have to memorize the pattern. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. No matter how far you got, you'd be dead. Eventually you would die. So, uh, there's elements of that. There's, uh, some, yeah, some old school ship, uh, top down, basically Atari arcade game space invaders type gameplay as well. Uh, the characters, uh, you know, Zit, Rash, and, uh, uh, to never remember the other one. The third one. Who yes, I also the third one. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, they're all there. They're, of course, unique uh, art styles and depictions for all of them. And it, as we see in the trailer, which uh, we link to on our website, thearcadeshow.com, uh, watch it if you haven't, watch it there, is these characters being given their own unique attitudes. It struck me, their own unique attitudes, own unique personalities. It struck me as... This might be a launching point for a Battletoads brand, uh, perhaps some sort of animated series, uh, new lines of merch. Um, Microsoft setting these up as characters they might be able to do stuff with down the road after this game comes out, depending on the reception. If it does well, well, then we can leverage it. If not, well, it was just this weird one-off that uh, we aren't attached to in any great uh, fashion. So, Yeah. So we'll see how that comes out how it's received on August 20th. So that is coming very, very soon. So uh, look forward to that if uh, you need something to play, something new to play or whatnot. But uh, that is, uh, of course, if you're not looking forward to the new one and you just want some nostalgia, you can always go back, play the old one on NES uh, as a blast from the past. But, uh, well, you know, speak of the devil, I mentioned blast from the past. I teased it at the top of the show. Well, not teased, but I... I jested that we were talking about the Blast from the Past with all of our discussion about Ren and Snoopy and uh, ki- cartoons from the old Nickelodeon era, but uh, I dare say at this moment we uh, could probably stand to get into the Blast from the pa- Past proper, uh, which, if you are unfamiliar with, it is that uh, time in the program, uh, right before we exit and skedaddle on out of here, where we take a few minutes to wax nostalgic and fetch some things that uh, are celebrating milestone anniversaries and we think are certainly worth talking about. And we have two items this week. Both are movies. Both came out on the exact same day and both of us saw them at the exact same time in a double feature. Sure did. And it was a fantastic double feature and they are wildly different. It was a fantastic double feature. And yeah, I was actually reminded when those Facebook memories came up where I posted something about like, the fantastic double feature. And I was like, holy crap, that was 10 years ago. But yeah. Um, I don't, exactly yes, it remember, was 10 years ago. I don't remember the order that we watched them in. Good question. I don't know. Well, we, it was one. And then I think when I went to get popcorn, I saw on the marquee board, the time for another one was probably about 40 minutes after the first one would have ended. Yeah. So I had, I, I messaged you back in the theater to say, Hey, this other one's playing like, you know, Within a reasonable time frame, do we do it? And you were like, of course, of course we do. 
So, yeah, I imagine we were probably watching Scott Pilgrim first, but then it was like, holy crap, Expendables? Yeah, let's watch Expendables as well. Which was the right thing to do. Yeah, which are the two movies that we're talking about. Absolutely. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, an adaptation of the uh, popular uh, graphic novel series written by Brian Lee O'Malley, uh, very Canadian, and uh, a fantastic movie directed by Edgar Wright, uh, and also The Expendables, which is the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, so let's just go in that order then. Let's start off with Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Done. I'm there. I'm sold. So Scott Pilgrim versus the World, starring Michael Cera, with all... If you kind of look back on it now, it's kind of a, a ridiculous cast of uh, young, comedic, and uh, acting talent. Yeah, because you had Michael Cera, you had um, one of Macaulay Culkin's siblings, Kieran Culkin. Bleh. Kieran Culkin, it's a hard name to say. Understandable. Uh, Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, and Jason Schwartzman. He played Gideon, G-Man. Yeah, like there was, th- those are all pretty kind of big names now. Absolutely. Chris Evans, of course, uh, this was before he really blew up as uh, and became cemented as Captain America. I thought you were going to say before he really bulked up as well, though he was always kind of a big guy. Um, not Captain America big, but still. Certainly. Um, some element of muscle mass to him, but Brandon Routh was in this as well, and he played Superman in the uh, Brian Singer uh, version of Superman, Superman Returns. That's right. Um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who was most recently uh, Huntress in the uh, Harley Quinn movie, Birds of Prey, she was in this as Ramona Flowers. That's right. Uh, Allison Pillow, who's had uh, a pretty solid career since, I believe she was on the newsroom, and uh, done a couple of HBO series since then. Um, yeah? Yeah, in this as well. Uh, so, some good Canadian content. Also, if you look closely, uh, a lot of Canadian locations, because this was shot in and around Toronto. And this is really a love letter to video games. Yeah, I I mean, the original books are also really good as well. Interesting fact, the books have a slightly different ending than the movie. Ah. Um, but yeah, uh, they're both good in their own way because the books were still being finished as the movie was being made. And yeah, it was just sort of a thing where they both had slightly different endings. A couple of the characters had slightly different uh, resolutions, but they're both really good. I would recommend reading the books as well. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I think this was the first time I saw Michael Sarah in a thing and wasn't super annoyed by him. <laughs> Though in hindsight now, looking back, Arrested Development is great. Like, I didn't... I and he's great on it. He is great on it. Like, he, he was fantastic in it. Like, in hindsight, I think I do like Michael Sarah a lot. I just didn't appreciate him at, a t- at the time. Something about him rubbed me the wrong way. But it, was, it wasn't until this movie where I was like, oh, he's pretty funny and pretty talented and pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, this is one of those movies where... Y- y- to look back on it now, 10 years later, I don't know if you could change any of the cast. I think this may have been one of those rare, perfectly casted movies. Yeah. I mean, Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim himself, uh, just the awkward nerdiness to him, uh, I think it was perfect. I think he was perfect for that role. I think Kieran Culkin was perfect as his roommate. Uh, Jason Forsman as Gideon worked right there also Aubrey Plaza was in it as well like when, when, when I see the expanded cast like there's a lot of lot of different people in this movie Bill Hader was played a voice in this movie 
That's right. He was the uh, video game voice guy. Yeah. Um, uh, Brie Larson was in it, and she's Captain Marvel now. Yep. Yeah, like lots of lots of talent before. I think they were fully recognized. Yes, like recognized enough to be in a movie like this, but not maybe not recognized to the international degree that some of these people are recognized now as. Absolutely, and I mean Aubrey Plaza in this. She was just a, a very snarky, very angry, like coffee barista at most times. Yeah, I believe Anna Kendrick was Scott Pilgrim's sister, uh, and Brie Larson was uh, Scott's ex-girlfriend that he's still pining over. Uh, and it's the, the real, the real crux of this movie to me is all the little winks, nods details, homages to video games. Yeah. And they're done more in like a... They're done more in like a wink and a nod kind of way rather than beating you over the head in like a Ready Player One kind of way. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I read the book. It was an okay... It was a good page turner and stuff, but a lot of it was just like reference after reference and it's just like, okay, we get it. You You like video games from this specific era. Fine making specific references like oh it's like the thing on Joust where you do this and this or when you're playing this thing in Cubert you're like come on okay you don't need to keep saying the names of games it's fine whatever whereas this was just like subtle references like sound effects sound effects getting a coin like beating a guy and just picking up coins and hearing like a video game kind of coin pickup sound like oh interesting like weird things like that uh, I think there's one scene where uh, Scott and Ramona are riding a bus and Scott is now pining over Ramona and uh, he's seeing, I think on the marquee boards as they're driving through the city on the like ad boards, he's seeing like 8-bit styled hearts Yeah, because he's falling in love with her. Yeah. And all things like that. It is fantastic. Uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, what is wrong with you? If you haven't seen it and you listen to this program, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I mean, I think as a blanket statement... If you haven't seen it, what is wrong with you is maybe a little bit harsh and harsh and maybe a little bit misplaced. But if you're listening to this program in specific, you probably like similar stuff that we like, video games, nerd culture stuff. This movie is probably going to be up your alley if you haven't seen it. So Absolutely. go it's ahead and see it. It's a fun movie. Yeah. It's a fun, still enjoyable to this day movie. Yeah, I agree. Ten years on, if it is on TV or whatever the case, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. I have the DVD. Uh, I don't know how many times I've busted out the DVD, but I have it there. Uh, if it's ever any sort of uh, anniversary collection Blu-ray, I may think about getting it then. Criterion collection. <laughs> Deservedly so. Uh, this this is just a really good movie. Still holds up. Edgar Wright, uh, fantastic in this as director, or not as the director. He was the director of this. He wasn't actually in it. He's not Alfred Hitchcock. He's not going to appear in his own work. No. Uh, nevertheless, he he enjoyed the source material. He liked working on it. And that enjoyment clearly comes through. And everyone really seemed to enjoy working on it. And there's just a certain amount of just joy and love that everyone had in putting it together. And it comes across on the screen, to me anyway. And obviously they enjoyed the source material, the original books by Brian Lee O'Malley. And... Uh, uh, obviously, Brian Lee O'Malley, he still enjoyed the movie to this day. I, I believe he was on a recent, uh, one of those uh, Zoom meeting uh, cast reunion type things. Yeah. That's uh, where the cast did a read-through. 
Yeah, I, I didn't actually watch it. I've been meaning to kind of check it out. It's a full, like, two hours. Yeah. Which is a little bit much, I think, when you could, you could just watch the movie again. Yeah. Sometimes it makes more sense maybe for, like, certain, like, cartoons and stuff when you want to actually see the voice actors really, like, what they look like maybe. But for Scott Pilgrim, like, you don't really need to do a, a table read 10 years after of a movie that came out 10 years ago. It's kind of weird. Just watch the movie. It is. And uh, why is that movie getting that table read kind of treatment when our next movie hasn't? The Expendables. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I don't think The Expendables deserves it. (laughs) When we think about movies with the level of excitement. So here's the thing. I had no expectations going into Scott Pilgrim and I came out really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Like really enjoying it. Thought it was really good. Saw it a couple times after that. Really liked it. Thought it was a great movie. The Expendables. I was so excited to go see it. And I felt maybe very underwhelmed after watching it. (laughs) Like it's a, it's a, it's fun as well, but maybe not Scott Pilgrim fun and definitely not any of these guys when they were back in their heyday making their classic movies fun. No. And you're talking about these guys. It's a huge cast it's in this a movie. It's a superstar studded cast. If this movie came out 20 years before it came out, it would have been the biggest thing in the world. It would have been equivalent to like Avengers or like, yeah, like, like the, the current Fast and the Furious movies. Yes. It would have been that level of like huge, like cultural phenomenon making a billion dollars, probably. Yeah. So, if you are unfamiliar with The Expendables, uh, cannot blame you. If you haven't seen it, cannot blame you. It plays to a a very specific audience score, very niche uh, demographic of the uh, movie-going population. The premise behind Expendables is it's a ridiculous all-star team-up movie for action heroes and action movie stars. So, it's got... It stars Sly Stallone, Jason Statham, um, Jet Dolph, Lee, Jet Dolph Lee. Lundgren, Eric Roberts, Randy Couture for some reason, uh, Steve Austin, David Zayas, Giselle E.T., uh, Charisma Carpenter, Gary Daniels, Mickey Rourke, and Terry Crews. Yes. So the main crew, so the premise is Sly Stallone is the head of this uh, team of mercenaries for hire, or guns for hire, called The Expendables. Uh, he's the main guy, Jason Statham, second in command. He's got Terry Crews on his team. He's got Dolph Lundgren. Um, he's got Jet Li. Uh, yeah, he's also got uh, Randy Couture. He's got Randy Couture, and, and they hang out around Mickey Rourke's bar or his a tattoo, tattoo parlor? parlor. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the the idea is Mickey Rourke was a former member of the team. He retired, and uh, he's now a tattoo guy, tattoo artist for all of them. So uh, they are guns for hire, and they. In this movie, they get hired by the mysterious Mr. Church, played by Bruce Willis, yep, to go down and take out some some evil bad guy, uh, South American uh, generic dictator guy. And of course, calamity and action ensue, and uh, uh, the plot would try and make you believe that oh, things aren't as they seem, and blah 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 blah. The premise and plot are about uh, as thick as the toilet paper you use. Yeah, it's... (laughs) On a daily basis. This is like one of those movies where the plot literally doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It's like... 
again, if this was 20, 25 years earlier, when all of these guys were still in their prime, it would have been a huge movie. None of those movies back then, and I, when I say those movies, I mean the classic big-budget, over-the-top, ridiculous action movie that, you know, would have, like, crazy explosions. The lead, the leading man of the movie was always, like, by the end of the movie, like, his short his shirt was torn up and you saw how ripped he was. He's sweaty. He's glistening in the from the sweat. Yeah, like, there's a lot of gunfire. There's a lot of, like, melee combat. There's a lot of, like, goofy one-liners throughout the whole movie. And the body a, count is high. Yeah, there's a lot of machismo happening throughout the entire time. Like, it's that type of thing, which were very popular in the late 80s, early 90s, throughout, up until about the mid-90s, I'd say, mm-hmm. when, you know, guys like Stallone and Schwarzenegger were at their prime, at their absolute height of their star power, like when they first rose to fame, rose to prominence, and then people made their all of their best movies, like... You know, when you had the the Terminator 2 and, you know, True Lies and things like that, Mm -hmm. Schwarzenegger and, like, all of the Rambo movies, like, the early first three Rambo movies and, you know, the Rocky films and things like that for Stallone and, like, yeah, you'd get other things with the other guys. Die Hard from Bruce Willis. Die Hard from Bruce Willis and whatnot. But I honestly, like, there's the part of the thing where it's, like, these guys are supposed to be old and like, it's like, well, we're old and that's why we're expendable. And uh, a lot of, a lot of really ham fisted, like trying to be deep, but it just comes off as really dumb. Mm-hmm. They've lived this life of uh, being a gun for hire and they've got some, you know, stains on their soul kind of thing because of, they've been doing this for so long, but it, it doesn't really work in creating any sort of depth to the character because you know going in, it's going to be a big, dumb action movie. Yeah. Like, that. those were the trailers. It's selling you on the prospect of seeing these big-time action movie stars all in the same place at the same time. Like, you're not going in to see some dramatically acted affair. This is an action movie. You go in for that premise. And the majority of action movies are not well acted. The majority of action movies are just... Uh, ways to string you along from action scene to action scene to action scene. Yeah. And that's okay. That is okay. There's nothing wrong with that type of movie. I mean, when executed well, I would say that I get more enjoyment out of some of those movies than some serious movies. Like, I will watch Commando before a lot of movies. Like, I love Commando. You know, Rambo 3 is a pretty ridiculous romp as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of these movies, like the dialogue is terrible, but you kind of like that. You like the bad dialogue. Like you like hearing what kind of ridiculous thing Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to say. Like, like <laughs> in True Lies, which actually was a good movie. It was. A really good movie. Still holds up. When you think about like the scene when he's flying the Harrier jet <laughs> and his daughter is hanging from one side of the plane and the bad guy's hanging from <laughs> the other side from one of the missiles, they, for some stupid reason, they do a very close shot in his face. And he says, you're fired. Like, how is he not freaking out about his daughter on the other side? Like, why <laughs> did they had time for him to say that <laughs> before he fires the missile and shoots the guy into the side of a building? Like, like that's ridiculous. And that's fun. That's, that's insane. It's like, cheesy. It's cheesy. It's not realistic. And it, it kind of knows it's cheesy. 
yeah, it knows all of these things about itself and it doesn't try to be anything that it's not. The problem with Expendables is it tries to be kind of serious. And then it just comes off feeling like really more bad than it could have been. It tries to be serious and then also at other time times tries to be lighthearted, funny, a bit campy, but it doesn't work when a movie tries to do all those things. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Like in the example you cited, Commando does not try to be serious or dramatic at any point. No, really. never. It does not try to stretch the range of Schwarzenegger. No. Like they know what his strengths are and they stick exactly to them. Same thing with like The Running Man or any classic Arnold movie. Like there are serious moments, but it's never really Arnold doing it. Like they, they defer to a better actor. And they're right to do so. They're right to do so. And it makes more sense to do that. But in this movie, there's not really better actors to defer to. I mean, in the, you could argue Mickey Rourke, because this was around the time he was up for the Oscar nomination for uh, The Wrestler. And I suppose Jason Statham, who actually got his start doing more legitimate movies before he just kind of turned into, like, badass action badass guy. Badass action guy. You know, back, like, I think about, you know, his Guy Ritchie movie days, like he was. Oh, not, that's right. He was not really a badass action guy in those movies. No, and I never would have saw him as a badass action guy based on those movies. And it was weird to me the first couple of times I saw him do it, and now it's weird to me thinking back that he wasn't. So I don't know. It was, he had a the strangest arc out of all these guys, I think. But yeah, it's I don't know. And I think the other problem I I have I did keep up with the series. I watched all three of the movies in the theater, and they all blur together in my head. Mm-hmm. There's nothing distinguishable about any of them. The second one is with Jean-Claude Van Damme as the villain, uh, whose name, I believe, was Jean Villain. <laughs> and I think he's trying to acquire nuclear material and blah, blah, blah. Um, I recall not enjoying the second one because of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. The third one, the third one just literally for the last half of the movie is balls out. Yeah. Just pure, like, 45-minute-long action sequence with Harrison Ford in it. Um, that's the one that uh, where Stallone is trying to train a, a new, younger team of recruits. Yeah, which had, like, all the UFC people, like Ronda Rousey and things like that in there. Yeah. Uh, things of that nature. Uh Bruce Willis actually gets involved in the action. Stallone actually gets involved in the action. Schwarzenegger actually gets involved in the action. Yes, uh, absolutely. Finally, uh, Harrison Ford, that's when he comes in as the uh, uh, fighter pilot, piloting an attack helicopter. One of them had Chuck Norris come in as well. That oh. might have been the second one. That I don't recall. Yeah. It's not impossible. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think the one scene I think about which kind of sours the Expendables overall for me because it's meant to be serious. Like some young guy who was like the young guy on the team ended up getting killed. It might've even been in the first movie, but they were all doing like a service for him. And then instead of just, you know, making their piece and moving on for whatever dumb reason they had Stallone's character deliver some sort of like heartfelt speech. But the heartfelt speech was basically just like, why is it that, those of us that don't need to live anymore keep living, and the one who has the most life left dies. It's just not fair. Life isn't fair. It's just like, what kind of a... What are you saying? <laughs> it's like, this was you being deep? Like, 
So let's establish our main character hates his life. Fine, but like also like we're old and we should die first. Like, okay, that's your deep statement. Yeah, sometimes tragedies happen, especially in the line of work you're in. I think as the audience, we're, we know that. Why don't you know that? You should know that more than we know that. What are you talking about? <laughs> so Expendables, a mixed bag of a movie. However, Terry Crews steals every scene he's in. Oh God, yes. Like, he was, he was the unsung hero of this movie, of this whole movie franchise. Like, everything he said was, was fire. As the kids say, I did also enjoy Dolph Lundgren uh, yes. in this and these in th- the three Expendables movies, especially this one because it really plays up the fact that he's just this loose cannon wild card guy who's uncontrollable, but also a goddamn genius. Yeah, like a genuine like chemical engineer level genius. Because Dolph Lundgren, let's not forget, actually is a chemical engineer in real life. <laughs> actually has like a master's degree in chemical engineering. Which you may not have known. Which you may not have known, but fun tidbit for the day. Dolph Lundgren's, he he plays a stupid idiot real well on film, but he's no stupid idiot. No. He's a really smart man. Like, really smart. So taking that element of real life and kind of bringing it to the screen and just playing it up even more ridiculously. Uh, And yes, as as you said, uh, Terry Crews, fantastic as just the wild, over-the-top character, while... Stallone tries to play the uh, more sullen, subdued one. Uh, Jason Statham is just kind of the charming one who's addicted to knives. That's his weapon of choice. Knives. Everyone's got their weapon of choice in this. Yeah. Jason Statham, knives. Uh, Sly Stallone, his character, has, I believe, the uh, the revolver. Yeah. His trusty revolver and a ridiculous skull ring that is way too big. Yeah. I think he actually wears that in real life. Oh, Okay. Good for him. I I feel like a few of the people who are in the Expendables actually wear those in real life. I like. I feel like Schwarzenegger might actually wear his as well. All right, but yeah. Even so, uh, the Expendables. It's an experience uh, to see all of them teamed up uh, in the same movie at the same time. Yeah, like if if you're like us and you've never seen them, it's worth watching these at least once. You might not need to watch all three of them. Watch one of them. If you've seen one of them, you've probably seen them all, I think. If you're going to... I'd suggest the third one, if you enjoy action. Uh, If you want to see where it started, of course, go with uh, The Expendables, the first one that came out on August 13th, 2020. Fun fact, uh, uh, Schwarzenegger has just a brief cameo in this one, just some sort of brief meetup at some church. I think it actually is as brief as Bruce Willis has. Uh, I think Bruce Willis had a bit more of a role because Schwarzenegger was still governor of California when they were filming. Yes, though both of them were uncredited in the movie. So, yeah. I, I think Willis, Bruce Willis appears in more scenes. Schwarzenegger, it's literally just one, and it's in passing. When Bruce Willis is, uh, I think, approaching Stallone and Schwarzenegger with, hey, I've got this job. And it's like an intense, like, I'm more macho than you. No, I'm more macho than you. I'm more macho than both of you. Kind of scene, like yeah, and and Schwarzenegger basically says like ah, I can't take it, I'm too busy, kind yeah. of thing, and just walks off. Yeah, because he was governor of California. Yeah, he was the governor of California, which I believe at the time was the seventh largest economy in the world, according and, to his book. And now it's I believe sixth. Yep, something like that. So it uh, went up after he left office. <laughs> so yep. he was holding it back. 
Yeah, I'm really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an experience. The Expendables is uh, what you make of it is entirely up to you and how you enjoy action movies. Uh, but if you just enjoy all around fun movies that still hold up even 10 years on, we do suggest, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. If you haven't seen all, seen it already, you deserve to watch it. You need to watch it. If you enjoy movies, if you enjoy fun things, if you enjoy video game related things or just video game movies done well, Scott Pilgrim versus the world is for you. I, I, I don't know if I can recommend it in any stronger terms than that. Just watch it and let us know uh, what you think of it. If you're seeing it for the first time or, for, or if you're seeing it for the first time in 10 years after you saw it initially in theaters back then, let us know. Email us info at thearcadeshow.com or you can always uh, hit us up through the social media. We are on Twitter at The Arcade Show. Give us a follow. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Arcade Show. Like our page while you're there. And if you haven't already, we do recommend you subscribe to this program to get all new episodes delivered straight to your digital device. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Play Podcasts. Direct links to our pages on both of those platforms can be found on our homepage of the arcade show.com. So until next time, good night, everybody. Good night.